Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else can we turn? Lord, we ask that as we examine your word, that by your spirit, you would make it come alive in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot can change in five years. Five years ago, David and Jackie Siegel traveled to France. As part of that trip, they visited the Palace of Versailles and were inspired. So when they returned home to Florida, they decided to build a new house. They drew up plans for this house. They started construction. It's still in progress. This house has 90,000 square feet. That's two acres of interior space. It probably has more kitchens than your home has bathrooms. It has nine kitchens, 30 bathrooms, and the wife's closet is 4,000 square feet. Now the Seagulls can finance such a house because David Siegel had built an empire of billions of dollars. He had built that empire that kept going and going and going until the financial crisis of 2008. At that point, he had built this real estate empire. Each time he built a new property, he would pay for 10% of it and borrow 90% of the money. But when the credit crisis came, his customers could no longer borrow money to pay him, and he could no longer borrow money to build new properties. So construction on this new Versailles was put on pause. And as you can imagine, the Seagulls had to downsize some of their living standards. They still had quite a nice home, but Mrs. Siegel was used to flying on the family private jet. When she would get off the jet, she was used to being chauffeured around and driven around in luxurious vehicles. So when she went to visit family in upstate New York, she flew coach. She rented a car. She walks up to the Hertz rental desk, and innocently she asks, what's the name of my driver? I'm sorry? My driver, what's his name? This is all documented, and you can watch it if you want in a new documentary called The Queen of Versailles. It's pretty amazing. Here's what one Business Week writer said about the Seagulls. The Seagulls are not like most Americans, but theirs is a very American story. It's a tale of hard work and borrowed money, of idle consumption, wanton ambition, and what happens when it all comes to an abrupt halt. As a side note, if you need a movie to scare the bejeebers out of you about ever borrowing money again, this is the one. <laughs> you know, it's easy to look at the seagull's folly because it's on such a grand scale. It's scaled so large that you can't miss it. I wonder if we had billions of dollars to pursue the follies of our own heart, I wonder if those follies might become more obvious to us. But just because the follies of our own heart are on a smaller, less obvious scale, does not mean that they're any less destructive. It's easy to see that David Siegel trusted his brains and his ability to build his fortune. And it's easy when you watch the movie to see 
that he's still trusting his brains and his abilities to get out of this slump. And it's clear that Jackie Siegel trusted the family fortune as the way to be a good mother, to be a good wife, as the path to a fulfilling life. But let's bring the focus to us. It's clear what they trusted in. What do we trust in? Let's answer that question genuinely. Let us not tell ourselves the answer that we think will please the preacher. But let us look at our thoughts, look at our actions, and look at what the evidence tells us. What do we trust in? And then let us examine where we can best place our trust. We're going to look at Psalm 25, and we're going to look at four different types of trust. We sang a portion of Psalm 25. The full text of it is printed in your bulletin below the title sermon, so that we have the full text to refer to. As we look at that psalm, let's start by looking at what's going on. David's speaking here. And I'm going to pick out a few lines that detail his circumstances. He says in verse 1, Don't let my enemies triumph over me. The Lord shall pluck my feet out of the net. Verse 14. I am left alone and in misery. Verse 15. Bring me out of my troubles. Verse 16. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they bear a violent hatred against me. Verse 18. As we read the psalm, it's crystal clear that David is alone and he's in trouble. He's in grave danger, probably mortal danger. But we don't know exactly which period of David's life he's writing about. He was the king of ancient Israel for a long time. He had a long, successful reign. And during that reign, there were multiple prolonged assassination attempts, multiple coup attempts, Numerous battles he fought in. So we don't know exactly which part of David's life he's talking about. But we do know he was alone. He was in trouble. And we also know something else about David. He did not scare easily. At his first battle ever, David volunteered to go out all by himself and fight the giant hero Goliath, the hero of the enemy army all by himself. He was a Marine who was on the front lines fighting hand-to-hand combat day in and day out. He had killed scores of men with his spear and sword and hands, and he was used to their blood running down his forearms onto his hands. He was used to being on the winning side of violence, and he did not scare easily. But whatever this situation was in Psalm 25 spooked him. And it's in this context that he offers up Psalm 25 as his prayer to God. This is how he starts in verse 1. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. My God, I put my trust in you. This is how we're going to define trust today. Reliance on something or someone Reliance on or hope in. There are at least four kinds of trust. One type of trust is trusting yourself, trusting in your own abilities. A second type of trust 
is trusting in some material thing outside yourself. Trusting in your finances. Trusting in another person. A third type of trust is placing your trust in God for certain temporal outcomes. And then there's a fourth kind of trust. Placing your trust in God regardless of the circumstances. In verse 1, David clearly ignores the first two types of trusts. He did not place his trust in his own ability to get himself out of that situation, even though his abilities were great. And he did not place his trust in some other person or in his riches or any of that. He clearly and unambiguously places his trust in the Lord. That tells us two things. It tells us that David had a healthy, God-given understanding of his limitations. In verses 6 and 10, he confesses before God how unworthy he is to be in God's presence. He confesses the ways he's messed up, how he hasn't been able to live life the way he has wanted to. The second thing this tells us about David is that it tells us how bad his situation was. There's a former NFL defensive back who's now in the Hall of Fame. And when he played, this back was known for his woo hits. And someone asked him one day, what's a woo hit? And this player said, that's what happens when you take a two-by-four and you swing it with all your might against the small of someone's back and they go, woo, and it knocks the wind out of them. He said, that's a woo hit. I bet there has been times in your life when you have been taken by surprise by a woo hit. It could be an addiction you can't get freed from. It could be your family or finances falling apart. It could be a violent situation at school or neighborhood, a tough situation at work. When we live in this world that's so messed up, we know what it's like to be taken by surprise and have the wind knocked out of us. When those things happen, people tend to respond in one of two ways. For some people, they get depressive and it paralyzes them. They just kind of shut off. Other people tend to get manic and, and frantic and want to find some solution and figure out a way out. Some people want to fight through it. Others just want to flee and get as far away as possible. But all of us seek to find something we can grasp onto and trust. Something that we can place our trust in to have the hope for a better tomorrow. When those times come, we need to be careful. We don't place too much trust in ourselves. But we also need to be careful of how we place our trust in God. We've already alluded to the destruction that will come sooner or later when we place our trust in ourselves, in our abilities, even if our abilities are amazing. From beginning to end, the Bible is filled with this truth. No matter how capable you are, 
If you place your trust in your abilities, you are going to fail. Sooner or later. The good news for us is that God is eager to be a reliable provider, protector, and father. But there are two ways of trusting God, and we need to be careful that we trust him the right way. The first way to trust him is to trust him based on our circumstances. I can trust God as long as my life is good, as long as he is answering my prayer the way I think he should. And that is the devil's call to us. The devil wants us to trust God, but he wants us to trust him based on our circumstances. Yes, trust God. Look at all the good things God has given you. Praise the Lord. God isn't answering your prayers anymore? He isn't giving you the things you want anymore? What kind of God is that? You need to find something else to trust in. It turns out that the way of trusting God based on our circumstances is actually just a variation of trusting ourselves. It's actually saying, I trust my understanding of things better than I trust God's understanding. It's important for us to notice that because it's easy to look at heroes of the faith like David and to applaud his prayer. It's a great prayer. He recognizes his limitations. He is recognizing the foolishness of trusting in himself and his abilities, and then he prays specifically for specific outcomes like Jesus taught us to. Those are all great things that we should imitate, that we should copy. But the real test for David and for us comes when our prayers stop. The real test comes when God may or may not answer our prayers in the way we think he should. Are we able to trust God even when we don't understand what he's up to? Even when we don't understand his response? The two best examples of this type of trust that I know come from Job and from Jesus. In the Old Testament, Job is this guy who did everything the right way. He was the guy you wanted to imitate. He knew God. He trusted God. He did everything he was supposed to. But his life just starts to unravel in ways that just didn't make sense. His money disappears. His health disappears. His body's being eaten away by disease. His wife betrays him. His children are dying. And everyone thinks that God has betrayed this man. But this is what Job says. Even if God slays me, I will still trust in him. Job was willing to trust God's judgment and character regardless of his circumstances. A friend who helped me understand this passage in a fresh way told me this week that they think the best example of trusting God is when Jesus was hanging on the cross. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's totally disconnected and cut off from God. In Jesus' agonies, he's surrounded by his enemies that he's clearly not being delivered from. There's no hope for him. Jesus cries out in desperation, 
pleading, begging to know from God why God has forsaken him. And no answer comes. There is just silence. The only things he can hear is the mocking of his enemies as they torture him. And for three days, there's silence. But during that time of disconnectedness from God, as he's hanging on the cross, if Jesus wanted to, he could have bailed. He could have gotten off the cross. He could have called down armies from heaven to defeat his enemies. But he chose to trust God and to trust his plan. Our souls grow when we recognize our limitations, when we acknowledge to God that we do not have what it takes, that our abilities are not trustworthy. When we take that step and acknowledge to God that he is our only hope and trust, we make a big leap forward. But even when we do that, there still remains for us the hardest step of all for our souls to take, placing our trust in God regardless of our circumstances. In Advent, we remind ourselves that the only true, enduring ruler, Jesus Christ, will one day come back. We remind ourselves in Advent of what will endure and whose kingdom will endure. And we're asked to examine our lives to see if we have been led astray by other voices and been tempted to trust in other things. And during Advent, we're invited by God to come back to the only person we can fully trust. In Luke 21, Jesus says, Uncertainty is a certainty. The fiscal cliff may or may not happen. War with Iran, it may or may not happen. But we do know this. Be it global or regional or local or personal, there will be some two-by-four we do not see coming that knocks the breath out of us. And when that comes, our trust will be tested. Jesus says in Luke 21, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. They're the only thing that will remain. What are those words? Here are some of them. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is a realist. He is a realist and he warns us, he tells us the stark reality that if we follow him, our lives will actually become more difficult. But he also says, my way is the only path to life. We could point to so many of his words that comfort us and inspire us about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing for us even now as we speak. We could talk about the way he's coming to completely redeem and restore the world to put everything back together just the way it's supposed to be. We could talk about how he's going to take all the things that we do not understand that cause us so much pain and agony and how he will fit all those pieces back together in ways that we can't comprehend. We know that day is coming, 
But until those events become as plain as day, he invites us to trust him, regardless of what happens in the meantime. So two final questions for you. What have you been trusting in this past year? And what is your response to this Jesus, this only truly trustworthy one? What is your response to him this morning? Let's pray. Let's take a few moments of extended silent prayer for you to tell God what's on your heart and your mind, and then we'll pray together. Father, we thank you that you are so patient with us. You try to show us again and again how foolish it is to trust in ourselves. Even when we have things to, that are impressive, even when we are able to get certain things done, would you, as an act of grace and mercy, help us to see how frail and weak we are as we admit those things to you, would you take that weakness and through your power make, them, make us strong in your power? Lord, you see how hard it is. You see all the things that are going on in the midst of our lives and our world. We ask that you would give us the prayer life of David. Help us to come before you humbly and authentically with what's on our hearts and our minds. And until that day when you set all things right, we ask that you would give us the courage and the faith to joyfully trust you until you come again. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.